the tale comes to us from long ago. One day, a hare was hopping along at speed and sees a tortoise slowly heading on her way. The hare mocks the slow mover, and she, in turn, challenges him to a race. The hare, of course, knows that he can win, and he sets off at full speed, realizes in the course of the race that he has time for a nap, and dozes off by the race course. And slowly, the tortoise eases past the sleeping hare, and a new champion is born. The tortoise and the hare. We've learned a lot about the tortoise and the hare, haven't we? Ultimately, the tortoise wins. And we learned a lot of lessons from Aesop and his fables, but this one in particular, I think maybe we learned don't judge a book by its cover, right? Things aren't always as they appear. Or perhaps we learned that progress can happen quickly or very slowly and still be called progress. And of course, one of my mom's favorites, slow and steady, wins the race. And you know, slow and steady wins the race can be true, but have you ever watched Usain Bolt? He does not because he does not win the race because he is slow and steady. He wins the race because he is lightning. The man moves. It's a blink and it's done. Yesterday, we had the first ever competition-level competition marathon that was finished in under two hours. Lightning, slow and steady, doesn't win every race. In the Olympics and such events, we know that those are about speed. Who can cross the finish line first? But in life, I think we need to ask the question, where does speed, in rapid living, in rushed existence, in, in fast-paced working, in fast food, in fast relationships, swipe left, swipe right, where does that fast pace work for us? Where does it belong in our lives? Where does speed go for those of us who are here? Now, I have been assured by a couple of police officers that I've met in my life that life is not about speed. <laughs> they were very nice. I was going very fast. But what is gained by moving forward quickly? Or maybe we could ask the converse of that question, right? We could ask ourselves, what can be lost by plodding along? The tortoise crossed, crossed the finish line, but so did the hare. Is it really helpful to be first across the goal line? Is reaching the line first essential? Is it mandatory? Is it beneficial? You know, the Bible has some things to say about racing and running. One of my favorite verses to quote is this one, <clears throat> Proverbs 28.1, the wicked runs when no one is chasing them. 
right? If you see me running, something is wrong. Um, uh, it also, the scriptures also give us this brilliance. The race is not to the swift. He's not talking about the race of running, is he? He's talking about a different kind of race here. And finally, and I've just pulled a couple of these. I do not run aimlessly. In a race, you compete. You want to be the first one across the line. I am a swimmer. I used to be on swim team, and you want to be the first one to tap that wall. You want to beat everyone else across the lanes. You want to win. In the race of faith, we do not compete. Instead, in the race of faith, we work hand in hand with Jesus to become complete. And there's a big difference between competition and completion. The race of faith is not about speed. It is really about growth. Growth of character, growth towards Christ, growth in the evidence of the indwelling of a spirit. And as I was thinking about Proverbs 2 this week, it led me to a story. Because if you read through Proverbs long enough, and I don't know about you, but my eyes start to cross and my brain gets a little fuzzy. And I zone out. And after reading through Proverbs 2 a number of times, I came to a story that helps, for me, illuminate this idea of a walk and a race of faith. And I want you, if you have your Bibles, to open with me to Mark chapter 10. Now, you'll find, as we get to know each other better, that Mark is my favorite gospel. And I will read from it repeatedly. So, brace yourselves. Um, Mark is coming. Can I say that? Okay, we're going to say that. Mark is coming. But Mark chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 17 to 22. I'm not going to put it on the screen. And let me be very clear, church family, this is intentional. I will not put scriptures on the screen regularly because I feel like we need to be in this book. As a people who believe in the word of God, we have a privilege to open it together. So I won't put it on the screen. So find it on your phone, find it on your iPad, find it in your pew Bible, whatever it is that you need, but let's read the word together, all right? So here we have a story of a young man. We know that he's young because Matthew tells us he's young. We know he's a ruler because uh, Luke tells us that he's a ruler. And we know that he's a man because all of them say he's a man. So that's what we've got. And we know that he's rich because they all tell us that he's rich. So let's start in verse 17 together. Now, as he was setting out on his journey, he being Jesus in this story, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a good question, isn't it? I, I want the thing I cannot have. I know I will die, but I want eternal life, Jesus. What do I need to do to have that? And Jesus said to him in verse 18, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And he continues, verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your mother and your father. 
It's an incomplete list of commandments. It's not the 10 commandments, and there's some in there that we haven't seen really before. It's a new list. And the man responds, he says, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now when you think the life of faith and Proverbs talking about wisdom and understanding and knowledge and moving forward in those things, how on earth does this story tie in? Well, often as we're living a life of wisdom and, as, and of faith and we're moving forward on that journey following Christ, there are things that are pushing us, things that are moving us down the path. What is moving this man down the path of faith? He has an expressed motivation, right? What's pushing him? He says it, look with me in verse 17. He speaks what he wants. He declares his desire. Right? Verse 17, what is it that he asked Jesus for? Eternal life. Right? He's not asking for the latest, greatest video game, or for a new car, or for a spouse, or for a house, or any of those things. He's asking Jesus for eternal life. Here is his motive expressed verbally. This is easy for us to get because he says it. Right? In books and in movies, characters often express what they mean in their words, what they want, their desires are said for us. And here in this story, the guy does the same thing. We know that he's talking long-term goals, eternal goals, because he says it. He's looking for eternity, and he believes he knows how to gain it. He thinks that eternity can be gained by living a good life. Jesus, in response to his query, lists this handful of commandments that we find in 19. And he says, do these things. And the rich, young ruler responds, I do! I have since I was a tiny tot, since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. That's me. I do the things. I got that list covered. Jesus, I'm good. I have been pushing hard. I am winning. I am on the right path. I am doing the good things. But, but, but Jesus, could you just verify that for me? I just need the assurance that, in fact, I get a pat on the back and a hoorah. You're doing a good job, buddy. Keep going. Now, Jesus doesn't argue with this young man. He doesn't say, nuh-uh, I remember the time you lied to your mother, and that is dishonor on you and your house and your horse and all your cattle, right? He doesn't argue with them about the good life he's leading. He doesn't criticize anything he's done. But he tells them he's missing something. Oh, my word. Have you ever been told you're missing something? 
you go to turn in a paper or a test or a quiz or a report at work, and the paper gets handed back to you, and it's like, you missed your name. Oh, I've spent all of this time, details, struggling over the words and how I'm going to phrase it and trying to remember what I've spent hours studying. And I got it on the page, and I forgot my name? It's distressing. Now sometimes, like this young man, what we say does not line up with what's in our heart. And this, the beautiful part of scripture, is that we get to peek behind the curtain. We get the voiceover. We get someone telling us what is going on inside of this guy. We know what's going on externally because he expresses it. But now we get to peek behind the curtain and the narrator tells us what's really going on inside of this young man. The internal motivation, look with me at verse 22. Disheartened by this saying, so he's crushed by what Jesus has just said, that he's missing something, he needs to sell his stuff and come follow Jesus. He goes away sorrowful because he had great possessions. So once Jesus gives a glimpse into what would open eternity, right? The query of the man initially is, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus says, here's the way, here's the way, follow me. The young man hears it, and he walks away distraught because his real prize was in what he already had. He wasn't really eager for eternal life. He was happy with what he had. And he wasn't willing to sacrifice it. And we all kind of nod our heads and, and we acknowledge, woo, he really blew it, don't we? Oh man, that guy. He had Jesus standing in front of him saying, come on, let's go. He had the perfect opportunity in that second to follow the savior of the world and access eternity through Jesus, and he walked away? I would never. And sometimes, boy howdy, we think we know what's going on inside of other people, don't we? Sometimes our internal motivators betray us, and they direct us to paths that we don't wanna follow. The things that are in our heart contradict the things that come out of our mouth. And often we ascribe our motives or our thoughts about other people's motives to other people's actions. We cannot see people's hearts. God alone sees God alone is the one who's able to say, I know what's really going on. Let's get to the bottom of the manor. Right? You might be asking about eternal life, but you just want the assurance that you already have it because you've been good. And you want to hold on to your things rather than hold on to the Savior. And it will cause you heartbreak. It will break you. 
I cannot see your heart. The only thing I have to go on is what you do and what you say. Isn't it by grace that we learn to love each other? It's a challenge, I, I know, to remember that God sees the heart and that we don't get the voiceover in life. Right? I love the TV shows that have like the voiceover and Bob went to work and it was a good day. I love those. The voiceovers are fantastic. I wish I had one in real life, but we don't get one. It's our own motives, our own intentions, and our own actions that we have the privilege to evaluate and change with our hand in the hand of the Savior. So what way, what was pushing this young man? He had motives, right? He had external motives, the things that he expressed, expressed motives, and he had internal motives, the things that he didn't express, but that we, we get the peek into because of the narration of the Bible. So what way did we go? The last record that we have of this young man, we don't ever see him again that we know of in Scripture. The last record that we have is him walking away from Jesus. Because if we're honest, the split motives will lead to a heart-rending choice. Eternal life or great wealth. That was the choices for this young man. Eternal life or wealth. Now, sometimes it's really easy to talk about motives and the things that are pushing us and the directions that we will head, and sometimes it's really easy to see it. So I've invited my friend Lowell to come and share. Now, some of you here locally know Lowell, and you will have seen him carrying around magnetic beads or origami amazingness, and he's quite crafty and creative. And I've asked him to bring some of his magnetic beads along, and you can see he's built a quadecahedron point a shape. It is a shape, and it's a bunch of tops that he has made out of these magnetic beads that he's put together in a bead. So I'm going to ask him to pull a couple of them apart, and if he takes those and puts them on a flat surface and uses some sort of push, some sort of mechanism to get them going, they will react to the force, right? So what are they doing? Can you see it? I know they're small. You're welcome to stand up and peer if you need to. They're spinning, right? And they're on a flat surface, it's a smooth surface, they're not going anywhere. Once they find their center, they will continue to spin in that same area. But um, Lowell has tricks that he can do, so I've asked him to do a trick, and we're gonna see if I don't mess it up. Thank you. Okay, so we're gonna take these um, tops and we're gonna move them. Isn't this crazy? Okay, well Lowell's gonna move them, I'm gonna be the recipient thereof. All right. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh! So I have a spinning top on a piece of paper. Good job, Lowell. The circus is in town. Whoa! And if I tip the paper, I can move the top. I can send it whichever direction I want it to go, right? But I have to know that A, it's spinning. If I stop it, it will stop moving. If I leave the paper flat as the table, it will stay in the same spot. If I tip it, it will move. It's starting to lose some of its spin, right? So it's a simple top, but we can make it go whichever direction we tip it in. 
It has to have some sort of force in order to move, which he can do real well. I throw it across the room. All right, can you leave us a couple tops spinning? Of course. Yes. So we're going to leave some spinning tops here. Yeah. Yeah, I can't do that. And they'll spin until they're done. The life cycle of a top. High five. Can we say thank you to Lowell? Well done. Yeah, just leave them. Is it okay? We'll get them later? Yeah. All right. So here's the thing. Much like life and much like these tops, we need some sort of push that gets us moving, right? And those things can come from the inside and they can come from the outside. We have things that affect us, that make us go in different directions and can lead us. They create the motion of our life. And it can be something that is inside that we never speak of. It can be something outside that we tell other people about. Now, if we want to send these in a different direction, we have to change the lay of the land for them. And we can send them any direction we want to, right? It's pretty fantastic. So here's my question. What is pushing you? I can't see what's going on inside your head. I sometimes make assumptions based on things you do or things you say, and they can be erroneous, they can be wrong. But when is the last time we sat down and we reflected on what it is that's pushing us through our days? Paul says it really well. He says, I don't look at what's behind me. Instead, I'm looking what's in front of me, and that is what pushes me to run the race. So what's pushing you? Is it great wealth? Could be great wealth. Is it eternal life? Is it peace? Is it wisdom and joy? Is it winning? What's pushing you? That's something you and God alone can decide. So the next question I have is this. Which way will you go? And here's a terrible, horrible, very painful truth. You get to choose. And sometimes the power of choice is overwhelming. Because when we make a wrong choice, or a poor choice, or an uninformed choice, it can lead us down a path we did not want to go down. I don't think the young man's goal of having eternal life ever changed. But by what we know, he missed it. In Proverbs 2, there are two paths that are highlighted. The way of wisdom and understanding, and the path of recklessness and folly. Isn't it great that life really is a choose-your-own-adventure? Sometimes it feels great, and sometimes it doesn't. Because choosing means that our path is our responsibility. And when we take on Proverbs and the abundance of advice that is given there, we realize that this whole book is about checking our motives. 
what is driving us forward. And it's about checking where our motives are taking us. As a kid, I took piano lessons briefly. I can tell you what a scale is, I can find different octaves, I can find middle C, and I can play chopsticks. Yes. Uh, we moved so regularly that staying in piano lessons was really hard. But we had one teacher when I was very young who, um, she would say to us, practice makes perfect. Because no matter how much I practiced, it never sounded good. The piano and I are not friends. So one time I filled out a job application and they said, what instrument do you play? And I wrote down the radio. <laughs> because that is my truth. I play it very well. But the piano and I, the guitar and I, the ukulele and I, the kazoo and I, we're not friends, right? I appreciate other people who can play instruments. I'm thankful that God has given you that skill and gift. But she would say, practice makes perfect, and it makes me really mad that saying sticks in my craw. A, it's a judgmental statement, right? You have not been practicing enough. I can tell. And also, you're not a good player, right? She's telling me those two things. You haven't been practicing, and you're bad. Very judgmental statement. Felt hard. Years later that a career counselor said to me, you know, practice makes, and my insides went, and then she said, progress. And that has really stuck with me. It is what we practice that leads us further down the road. First, we must know what is pushing us, and we must know where we're going, but to get from point A of knowing what's pushing us to point B of having a goal. In the in-between, we must have clarity on how to do the things to get where we want to be, right? We must practice in order to achieve the goal. In the race of faith, having better faith, the only way that grows is through practice. You want to be kind? Practice. Let someone go in front of you in line at the coffee shop. Greet someone kindly and warmly. You want to be loving? Practice. What does love look like? And then do it. Do you want to be self-disciplined or joyful or joy-filled or peaceful? Practice. It does not come instantly to us. When Jesus met the woman caught by murderous men, and he starts to write sins in the sand and they all disappear except for the woman naked and trembling in the middle of church, and he says to her, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, there are none. And he says, go and sin no more. I have no question that she did not walk out of there going, what does that mean? And how do I do it? She did not become perfect with the phrase, go and sin no more. She would have had to practice 
every day, a new ritual, a new habit, newness, to move forward on that journey of faith and to move further along the road of faith with, with some haste or slowly and steadily, we're gonna need two things, a push and a direction. So I have a small gift for you and Lori and Scout are here and they have them in baskets and they're gonna start walking up the aisle and handing them to you. So uh, uh, I will show you from here, this is, what did we name him, Miguel? Miguel. Miguel, as you can see, is a plastic frog. Now, if I take Miguel and I put him on this table here, and I push on the tab at the back of Miguel, give him some force, something's going to happen, hopefully. We've had some um, failures to launch today, but we'll see. So if I, oh, there he goes. So if I push on Miguel, he'll head the direction that I point him, right? And I hope that this little frog will be a reminder that you have someone pushing you here and here. There's internal and external pushes. What are you allowing to push you? And what direction are you heading? Are you heading closer and closer to the place you want to be or are you heading further and further away? Like little Miguel and all of our jumping frogs that are coming to you, I hope you remember that there is one who will push you if you ask. He will guide you in the way you want to go. And he bids you, like the rich young ruler, to come and follow him. He will never lead you astray. The push he gives you will not be too much and the path he will lead you on will be the path of righteousness. Beloved, let's follow Jesus and launch with his push down the path of wisdom. <laughs>